Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Island. I'm your host, Alex, and I'm here to jump back into eschatology. Well, I guess you've already had a week of it with me, because we just finished up uh, Abraham, Sodom, and Exodus last week. So, uh, my uh, days are a little out of sync. Yesterday I was just finished editing the um, the, the bonus episode, the... Uh, the state of theology that we released two weeks ago. So that's where my mind apparently is at as I do my introduction for you this morning. So as I've mentioned uh, a few times in the past, uh, a couple things that we're looking to do uh, going forward in the series is we're going to wrap up the Old Testament here in November. And then December, we're going to do just a short uh, couple week series on Christmas and the birth of Christ. And then we will be uh, moving into the New Testament and looking at eschatology from that lens. So, uh, as I've mentioned a few times on this in this series, there's a few things that we need to kind of make sure that we are aware of. Um, obviously, the Israelites um, have no understanding of the end of times. They aren't looking for the end of the world. They are looking for this promised Messiah. And so that is what a lot of times, excuse me, the Old Testament will push forward to. That is the, that is what all of the Old Testament is looking forward to. Now, there are some uh, eschatological events that happen, and we will be covering those. Obviously, we looked at the flood. Uh, We looked at Sodom and Gomorrah. Those events were God's wrath being poured out upon the people. And that's essentially what is going to happen in the end of days as well, as God judges the wicked and rewards the righteous. So what we have in the remaining few weeks here in November, is we're going to look at a couple different pieces. We're going to tackle um, today, we're going to look at what's called the day of the Lord. It's a phrase that comes up pretty often in the Old Testament. And it always seems to be pointing towards 
an eschatological event. So we're going to look at some of the context of some of these passages. Obviously, we won't look at all of them because there is a lot. So we will be tackling some of them. And then what we will be doing then is uh, looking at some of the text in Isaiah because uh, Isaiah has a lot of uh, um, eschatology kind of riddled in, and it also has a lot of prophecy built into it. So, uh, And then the next episode, we're going to finish with um, Isaiah, and we're going to look at uh, Ezekiel, and then start in Daniel. And then the last week in November, we are going to finish up with Daniel and any other um, events in the Old Testament that should be clarified. So, again, this is not exhaustive. Uh, this is not a you know in-depth look at every single passage or event that could potentially point us towards um, eschatology. We are just covering you know from a ten thousand foot flyby and just trying to bring some uh, some new possibly new observations to some of this text that we've always had in front of us. So one of the biggest things with eschatology is its use of typology. And what I mean by that is, and I kind of explained it a little bit on the flood episode. Um, and again, uh, I might do an episode that just does much more in depth on that because it's a fin- fantastic topic to dig into. It is deep and complex and, um, and it's all throughout scripture and really at its core, what it is, is, uh, an event happens which is deemed a type of something to come. So it is a version, a lesser version of something greater to come. So Adam is considered a type of Christ. Um, the flood is considered a type of eschatological event towards the end of times. And so that's what we kind of see throughout the course of the Old Testament. David is a type of Jesus. And these events, these people, are a lesser of something greater to come. So that's another thing, too, when we look at eschatology is understanding that these events may not be, you know, the end of the world, fire and brimstone, but they are describing an event to come or they're using a current event uh, to understand something greater to come. So that's something that we should always kind of keep in the back of our minds as we go through the Old Testament uh, is this imagery of typology being used. What is this pointing me towards? Is there something greater to come? So that's the uh, premise in a nutshell, what we're looking for in these next couple of weeks and months. Um, and uh, after we wrap up this series, um, which I'm I'm pretty sure we're going to go well into the new year because we're going to do a few weeks on the, on the Gospels. And then we're going to look at Pauline eschatology. And then we're going to look at Revelation. And we're going to kind of go through that in a number of weeks as well. So I'm probably saying estimation around April will wrap this series up. This will be the longest running series I've ever done. The most in-depth study series I've ever done. And I hope for you all listening, it's um, one that's rewarding and edifying and um, entertaining. I mean, there's, again, it's not an in-depth, you know, study because there are, you know, seminary classes that go for semesters, you know, or, you know, they have different levels of, you know, coursework and some are even just focusing on single books. Uh, so this, the, the material around this is, is deep. Um, I'm only looking at a few, uh, particular books and, uh, um, 
respected websites that uh, for material. Um, I've got you know commentaries on Revelation that we're going to use. I've got uh, the Gerhard Voss books from the Old Testament and the Pauline theology. I've got R.C. Sproul's book on Last Days According to Jesus. So these are just some basic things that I use, um, and I'll make sure to keep those uh, posted in the show notes as I use them. But there's so much out there, and the unfortunate end is there's so much out there that is um, can be dangerous. It can really just be, you know, not rooted properly in a sound biblical manner. So obviously, discernment is key when looking at uh, sources and that deal with the end of times. Obviously, if somebody's predicting any particular day or time, that is your uh, that is your warning to just get out of there and just not even bother with that kind of thing. So, uh, before we uh, really get into the heart of today's episode, a few things I want to do um, on on cleanup, the house cleaning, um, and kind of give everybody some heads up on things coming. So. As I record this, there are some stuff that I am working on that uh, I can't technically or, or should I necessarily give much, um, what I want to say, like a preview of, but just know that Undying Light is working on some, some big things uh, to come. So keep your eyes peeled uh, for some particular announcements to come through on Instagram. Uh, the other thing is the... Um, merchandise is available. There are hats and shirts and bags and face masks and all the works. So you can go get a Undying Light shirt and rep your favorite podcast. Uh, the link is in my bio on reformed underscore lifestyle on Instagram. And uh, you can get all of the things there, actually. Uh, the merchandise, you can become a patron and sponsor, uh, support this uh, ministry, because of these big announcements that are coming will um, hopefully um, drive more people and uh, and obviously more work will be pushed into this ministry and uh, the support and help has been a tremendous blessing, but we're always looking to bring in more people to help grow this ministry. So uh, for as low as a dollar and as much as you, or up to as much as you want to donate, you will get access to all of the behind the scenes work that I do on top of uh, bi-weekly Bible studies that I host with my patrons and uh, then all of the, you know, sneak peeks and early clips at uh, episodes and other things that I do with my uh, patrons. So big, big stuff there. Um, I would, again, like I said, I really appreciate all of that, um, those who give. And if you are uh, able, willing, that would be greatly appreciated as well. Uh, the other thing too is, so... Logos 9 has been announced, and um, I am an affiliate for Logos, so I sell uh, software through that, essentially. I mean, I have a link to it, so you can use my link and get a discount on Logos Bible software. And through that, you get some free books on top of getting a big discount on the packages. So you can do just the basic um, and not have to pay anything, and it and then just build your library out from there. Or you can get a starter package uh, and, and get a, an insane amount of books and grow with it. Um, I just wrote a review for Logos 9 a couple weeks ago as this airs. And you can check that out on our website and kind of get 
an understanding of what I use logos for and why I find it to be very beneficial, not only to me, but to just about anybody who uh, would want to study the Bible. Because it's not just for seminary or pastors. It's for, uh, it can be for anybody. Um, now, obviously, the more, the, the, the larger packages are probably aimed more at uh, the academical world, students and pastors, theologians, things like that. But for you know, the stay-at-home parents, the uh, those who raise their children, those who do Bible studies or group studies, small groups, things like that. Uh, Logos is, is a tremendous help because you can take it anywhere. You can throw it on any device um, and have Logos at your hands. I have it on my phone, so I take that with me everywhere I go, and I love it. So that's really it. I don't want to spend a ton of time on this stuff, um, but I want to make sure that uh, I do clarify um, all of those house cleaning points and uh the merch has been selling some i've had people sending me their uh, emails and obviously i get notified every time somebody buys something so the the hoodies seem to be pretty popular especially considering it's fall and winter now so hoodies are pretty popular a couple hats have been sold some shirts have been sold um it's really high quality print and the material the clothes are really good material so um, I've got a hoodie that was just shipped to me because I love, um, one, I want to wrap my, my own podcast, and two, I kind of, you know, the hoodies look really good, and so very excited about that, and uh, so, you know, make sure you check it out if you are interested in some Undying Light shirts and, and sweatshirts and things like that. There's some really cool materials in there, um, items in there, so go check that out. So with that being said, we are going to dig into today's text, and that is the day of the Lord. So what really is the day of the Lord? It's a text that pops up from time to time um, in the Old Testament, and there are a few things in the New Testament that we will uh, come to understand from it. One of the things I was really kind of debating on when I was doing this series is, do I want to focus um, on particular events going through the Old Testament and into the New Testament. And, and, I, and I have been and I will continue to do such. But uh, I was planning out November's schedule here in October, and I just got to this kind of concept. I'm like, you know, the, the Day of the Lord seems to pop up pretty frequently. And it's a text that can often be probably used um, out of context and used to imply certain things. So um, what we're going to look at is we're going to look at some of these uh, scripture points, and we're going to talk about the context surrounding these, and we are going to hopefully try to put an understanding to what this little phrase precisely means. So generally speaking, it refers to uh, a time when the day of man or in the times of the Gentiles will be brought to an end. So it is a phrase often used, obviously, to reflect uh, when the uh, God will bring an end to the world. Now, we've you know, obviously talked through uh, some opening points in this episode and, and looked at other religions and other um, secular understandings of the end of times and how they they don't seem to have this clear, concise path to the end of times. And what we see over and over again in Scripture is this redemptive plan of God 
being shown to us that um, once man has fallen into sin, God has turned and given him a promise that he will redeem his people. And we know that to be Christ. And then we know that through the course of the Old Testament, we see this redemptive plan unpacking itself. However, parallel to God's redemptive plan is God's vengeful wrath coming at the end of times. And so we have essentially two parallel stories that we can unpack in the Old Testament. One is the redemptive plan of Christ coming through the descendants of uh, Abraham, going all the way back to Adam, um, and then a you know descendant of David. We have that story, which is obviously the biggest and most well-known story Um, that runs through the streams of Scripture, and as it should be, because this is what what it means to be a Christian, is the redemptive story of God played out for us through Christ His Son. But what we can also understand, too, is through the Old Testament, that God gives us these little glimpses of His complete story, not just one that ends with Christ, but one that will end with Him. Uh, with with Christ at the end of times. And it's not just, what I mean by that, it's not just ending with Christ in his earthly ministry, but ending with Christ being a ruler over all things. And so we have these two parallels. One kind of runs in the background, and that is the eschatological story from the garden all the way to Revelation. So we can see how God's plan is played out. Now, when we look at the day of the Lord, there's a lot of misconceptions and there's a lot of misunderstandings um, because the text seems to kind of be, um, I don't want to say come sporadically, but it comes to comes at certain points in uh, Israel's history. And it even comes it, it you know to the apostles who are writing their letters, um, speaking on the day of the Lord. Um, so, What we will hopefully try to do is just paint a little bit of a picture here and try to understand that the day of the Lord doesn't necessarily reflect or point us to a particular um, point in history as a uh, from a dispensational perspective where these things will happen, the seven year tribulation as we had mentioned on the dispensational premillennialist episode. Now, it doesn't mean that those things won't happen, um, but sometimes what we try to do is we will pick and choose scripture to fit a narrative. And 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 I think that is what a lot of these uh, eschatological views try to do is they will find scripture that fits their hermeneutical understanding instead of just reading scripture in its entirety. And that is what I'm trying to do in this series is, you know, come across these points and say, okay, this is what this means. This is a larger context of it. Can we apply this to, you know, uh, an end of time scenario? Yes or no. And what we get sometimes is, well, you know, we can look at, for instance, the events in, Sodom, where uh, it's a text that's re, you know that are uh, that actually comes from Christ and uh, in Luke, as I had mentioned on that episode, 
where Jesus says that in the days of Lot. So Jesus is reflecting towards a, a particular event. And so that event now becomes a type of something greater to come. And that's just something that we can look at and say, okay, well, this event was quoted in the New Testament. So obviously there's some significant relevance to it. And that event now will be pushed forward into a greater event to come. So Sodom technically could be a, a reflection of uh, the end of times and God's wrath being poured out upon man. Is it a, um, a literal typology where God will literally bring fire and brimstone from the heavens? Possibly. Uh, or is it, is it the nature of sin that Christ is reflecting to that Jesus says that the, the man will be like in the days of Lot, that this topatry of sin is what is going to be punished and not necessarily even being punished, but this is, you know, when, when the apostles were always kind of nagging Jesus about, Oh, tell us Lord, when will we know these signs or when will this day come? And Jesus gives a little subtle hints, and we'll cover all of this uh, in that series. But what I'm trying to get at is we have to understand the greater context of what these events are doing instead of just saying, okay, well, the you know sun's going to be blood red and the moon's going to be black ash. And, oh, that must be, you know, uh, part of this seven-year reign that we've pulled out of, you know, Daniel, and then we kind of pair that in with Revelation. You know, it's like they're trying to put a puzzle piece together, but they're cutting the pieces to fit the puzzle. And we don't want to be doing that. That's that's bad. That's bad scripture reading, and it's bad hermeneutics. So we'll cover Daniel, obviously, when we get to that point. But what I want to kind of touch base on are some of these these scriptural pieces and understanding that. Um, as we come through them in the Old Testament, they don't always necessarily mean this or that. They don't point us towards the um, you know specific uh, marker in this you know specific point of the seven year tribulation. Um, and if you hold to that, then that's fine. But uh, I particularly don't. I don't think that we will be enduring the Left Behind series in real life. Um, that doesn't mean that dispensationals cling to that because a lot of them don't care for that particular series and that's fine, but I'm just saying, you know, I'm using it as an extreme in this, uh, particular scenario. Dispensational premillennialists have their own, uh, type of hermeneutics and, uh, and, and through that they have interpreted scriptures, uh, that especially that deal with eschatological events to be very literal. We talked about that on that episode. And that's not, you know, uh, bad in all cases, but, and I don't want to just pick on them, but I think a lot of these groups of uh, these camps that people sit in will try to take these passages and, like I said, they try to cut the puzzle pieces to fit the puzzle when we should probably not be doing that. So let's take a look at some of this text and... Um, we are going to kind of dig in and see what is going on here. So um, I have a list of texts, um, and we're just going to kind of dig through them, and we will see what we can get out of it. So um, what we 
we can start in Isaiah because again, this is just going to be bouncing all over the the Old Testament. I'm going to stick to the Old Testament for now, but we'll start in Isaiah because that's kind of the top of my list. So the what we get here is Isaiah two eleven through thirteen. This is the context. Uh, eleven starts with the lofty looks of man shall be humbled, and the haughtiness of man shall be bowed down. And the Lord shall be exalted in that day. For the day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon everyone that is proud and lofty and upon everyone that is lifted up. And he shall be brought low. And upon all cedars of Lebanon that are high and lifted up. And upon all the oaks of Bashan. So that is in chapter 2. That is the um, first day of the Lord that we get. Obviously, we're looking at... Um, that uh, the, the day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon everyone that is proud and lofty. So we see some possible judgment upon those who are, are proud and lofty. doesn't necessarily point us towards a specific event. Now, uh, there is greater context to Isaiah and uh, um, what we can get out of that uh, because Isaiah has is a very interesting book, and I'm going to try to cover that in the second half, and hopefully we'll do it some justice. Now, there is some great prophecy in Isaiah that I would love to do separate episodes on, but it won't necessarily be a part of this. Obviously, chapter 53 is one of those. Um, but let me kind of maybe backtrack here just a little bit for you, because starting in Isaiah, that seems to be a pretty... Um, hot topic in regards to the day of the Lord. There's just at the top of my list, there's four of them here. And then we have a couple in Ezekiel and Lamentations and Jeremiah as well. Joel, Amos, Obadiah. So we have a bunch of texts that we can look at, but um, I kind of want to really hammer on this phrase. Like, I, I really want to make sure we have a good, clear understanding of what this phrase means, because most of people, uh, most people associate this with a period of time or a special day that will occur when God's will and His purpose for this world and all of my, mankind will be fulfilled. Some scholars even believe that the day of the Lord will be longer than a single day. It's actually they will look at it as a period of time through which Christ uh, will reign the world before he cleanses the heavens and the earth in preparation for the eternal state of mankind. So interesting little snippet here. So some scholars, again, these are those who um, probably would view uh, the manner that Christ will come and then cleanse heaven and earth and then establishes eternal state. So we have some of that... Uh, post-mill and pre-mill elements kind of sprinkled in there. Um, the ah-mill doesn't really hold to that particular belief. Um, they think that Christ is going to come and then just establish his kingdom, and then we will move on with that. Um, some scholars believe that the day of the Lord will be an instantaneous event when Christ returns to earth and redeems his faithful believers and sends unbelievers to eternal damnation. So obviously I've mentioned some passages already. Um, this is used often in the Old Testament. We see that, as I mentioned, in Isaiah 2.12. It's again found in 13.6 and then uh, and as well as verse 9. Uh, Ezekiel has a few verses. Joel, uh, Amos, Ebediah, um, Zechariah, Malachi, just to name a few. 
And it's also found in the New Testament as well. Acts, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, and, and 2 Peter. Uh, and then we also have the text in Revelation as well. Um, so really hammering out this phrase, the day of the Lord. The old passages uh, are often dealing with the day of the Lord conveys a sense of imminence, nearness, and expectation. Wail, for the day of the Lord is near, Isaiah thirteen six says. For the day is near, even the day of the Lord is near, as Ezekiel says. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand, as Joel says. Multitudes, multitudes, in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near, in the valley of decision, Joel 3.14. Be silent for the before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. This is because the Old Testament passages are often referring to the day of the Lord are spoken both near and far fulfillment. So, as I've kind of established, hopefully, that this text doesn't often point us to a very specific event. Now, I do want to talk about a couple that do have some um, uh, wrath and things like that built into it, and we'll cover that in a few minutes. But a lot of these texts are a warning. They are establishing um, something greater to come. These texts are pointing us towards God's redemptive plan through his son, Jesus Christ. And not only just the redemptive plan, but the eschatological events to happen after Christ ascends to heaven and then he comes back to uh, establish the new heavens and the new earth. So these are a calling. Um, these are, you know, warnings, if you would. These are, you know, cries out to the people to say, that the Lord God is near. The Lord God is coming. The day of the Lord is near. And that's what we see in Zephaniah 1.7. Be silent for the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. I really like this one from Isaiah, though, 13.6. Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. And it's just, it's these, these calls of warning these calls of repentance, these calls to fear God and turn away from the idols and the sin that has plagued this nation of Israel. And that is what we often see. Now, again, we do we will get into some of the wrath here in a minute, but that is but what the more of the contextual elements that we get from these texts are in fact pointing us towards uh, God's redemptive plan continuing to be unfolded. His promise is being unpacked. It's not just something that he said in the garden to make Adam and Eve feel better for their sin. It's not just something that he told Abraham and then left Abraham without this fulfillment of promise. It wasn't something that he promised to David. It wasn't, you know, and and then just let it go. These promises have been meticulously placed and and, and unpacked throughout Israel's history. So now let's look at uh, some of this text that deals with wrath. We're going to look at some of the New Testament stuff, but we're also going to, to uh, understand some of these uh, Old Testament texts as well. Because, as with all things, we must understand the Scripture. We must understand that there is something greater to come. 
there's something that there is that is being delivered to us in this text and we have to understand what it is uh, that is being spoken to us and we have to we can't just take and you know cherry pick scripture and then expect it to uh for it to uh, to just settle because we you know took this and cut the pieces and cut the corners and made it fit our puzzle so i'm going to look at amos uh chapter 5 and we're going to look down to verse 18 which is titled let justice roll down and we're going to read through um uh we'll probably read through 24 or 25 here so verse 18 woe to you who desire the day of the lord why would you have the day of the lord it is darkness it is not light as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him is not the day of the lord darkness and not light and gloom and no brightness in it I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs and the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like the ever-flowing stream. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings during the 40 years in the wilderness, wilderness, O house of Israel? You shall take up Shekoth, your king, and Kayan, your, your star god, your images that you made for yourselves, and I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is God of hosts. So some interesting text here. Um, so... Obviously, there's greater context to the book of Amos uh, uh, in its entirety, but a lot of people will point to verses 18 and 20 because they have that phrase, the day of the Lord, in it. So what we can really pick out from the book of Amos is his call for social justice and this indispensable uh, expression of true piety. And he is a spokesman for God's justice and righteousness being brought forth to the people. So there is some interesting text here that uh, of God's judgment being brought forward um, and that it God is going to judge his unfaithful and disobedient covenant-breaking people. That is the premise of this letter, this book. So again, context matters. And what I, what I would strongly urge, and I'm going to say this before we go and look at uh, this text from Joel, because this is going to bring a little bit more wrath to the table. But what I would strongly recommend is get yourself a good study Bible, like, for instance, the ESV study Bible um, or the Reformation study Bible uh, or even the MacArthur study Bible. There's a lot of good ones out there. But get one that has um, a really good introductories to each of the uh, books of the Bible. And read those introductions so you can understand the context being pushed forward in that particular book. Because, again, to cherry-pick text to make it fit this puzzle um, is not what we are trying to do. The only reason I'm going through and pulling out verses is to show that oftentimes there is a greater context to why these verses are even being spoken to. Obviously, with Amos, it's... You know, God's 
judgment against those who are unrighteous. Doesn't necessarily reflect in a means of eschatology. Doesn't often reflect to mean a point of history where we will, um, you know, where, where the day of the Lord is going to come and his vengeance will be displayed for all. So that is the, you know, my urging to, to you is to dig into that. So um, read all the introductories. That way you can start to kind of build out your understanding of each book. And even if you've read the books a hundred times, Grab yourself a good study Bible and look at the notes, look at the introductories, look at, you know, all of that kind of stuff to help build it and, and read different ones. So you can maybe find one that doesn't quite cover a particular little niche or topic and or maybe talks about it a little bit differently because, you know, having different perspectives is OK. But we want to make sure that we understand the right meaning behind this text. And uh, so we're going to jump to um, Joel chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 28 through 32, and uh, this is titled, The Lord Will Pour Out His Spirit. Uh, this will be the last one we're going to look at for the day of the Lord, and uh, again, this list is exhaustive. There's um, over 100 verses throughout the New, New and Old Testament, um, so this is just a, again, this is probably a 50,000 foot view of this particular text. But I think what we are starting to paint with this is the understanding that, you know, it doesn't always reflect towards a, um, an understanding of the end of times. There are, there is greater context to, to this particular text. So let's look at verse 28 in forward. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and I will show wonders in the heavens on earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. I had it backwards earlier. My apologies. I was thinking the sun. Oh, did I say the sun? I forget. I apologize if I had it wrong on this particular verse. And if I didn't have it wrong, then I'm apologizing for nothing. Therefore, you get a free apology. I love you all. Carrying on. Before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord had said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. So 30 to 32 has some interesting context here. Uh, 28 through 29 is actually verses that uh, Peter will quote in Acts. So this is a particular instance of an eschatological form of text. We will see these events be played out. Peter quotes this text. This text has relevance. And not to say that the other ones didn't, but the other ones may be quoted, you know, elsewhere in the New Testament and pieces. But um, forgive me if I don't know those entire connections. I'm, I don't have the whole Bible memorized yet. That would be an amazing thing. But I know for I know that these two eight twenty eight and twenty nine are connected to Peter's words, and they do have some significance. Now, 
I'm not going to talk about the gifts um, because everybody loves to harp on prophecy and things like that. But as the days draw closer to the day of the Lord, we do see context here that uh, old men shall dream dreams and young men shall see visions. Sons and daughters will prophesy. We don't know entirely what that will entail, but this is what we are being told here. But 30 through 32, And I will show wonders in the heavens and on earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So 31 is a text that I know gets often pulled out of context. And we, you know, if you've read the Left Behind series, I did um, many years ago, but I know that they use this event in the in their writings, and they use this event to um, and, and many, many, many end of times prophecies. Um, so anytime you see, uh, like for instance, an eclipse, they'll you know, or they call it a blood moon. Um, you know, there's books written about it. It's exhausting. This is a one-time event. This isn't going to be four blood moons, and this is the great day. No, that is not found in Scripture. So understanding the text in its entirety and in its context is crucial. This text does have some impact, and we will uh, probably come back to it many times as we go through the, old, uh, through the New Testament um, portion of eschatology. So let's kind of put this in our back pocket as we have a few others. Uh, the text from uh, Sodom that we talked about on last week's episode, put that in our back pocket as well because we want to make sure that we can come back for them. And 32 is another interesting verse where uh, we're told that all of those who will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved and from, uh, from in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape. So this is kind of um, a reflection of Pauline eschatology that we will come across in Romans where Paul is talking about a remnant being saved. So these are those who call upon um, the Lord. These are uh, a portion of Israel that has been saved by the Lord, that those uh, that Israel hasn't been forgotten. So a little bit of sneak peek for that portion of text. But So that is uh, where I'm going to conclude with the day of the Lord. I think that there's, again, there's just so much more meat to this, and and I wish I um, could just really spend all, you know, I mean, I really technically could because it's my podcast, but I have other obligations and promises to you uh, in regards to getting through this series and concluding it without dragging it on for months and months and months. But there's so much meat to this that I really do urge you to go and read more. Uh, but be careful what you read. You know, if you have questions, DM me, and I would be more than happy to to look at authors and things like that and try to, you know, say, yeah, you know, I probably wouldn't read this because it's probably going to be heavy on this type of theology. Or, you know, in some cases, read it and then come to your own conclusions. Um, it doesn't hurt to read an opposing view. It doesn't hurt to read... Uh, an opposing author, and just to understand, you know, maybe this is something that uh, will help kind of maybe solidify my position. So don't always, don't uh, neglect that. But 
there are many out there that you know like the four blood moons type books and that you know don't don't waste your time reading that stuff it you're just you're not going to get anywhere with it unfortunately so with that being said we're going to kind of look at isaiah uh as a overview um in a in in its entirety here we are going to talk about um, the unfolding of biblical eschatology and the coming king Um, i'm going to kind of skim through this fantastic article that is on ligonier's website um, that was written about eight years ago a little over eight years ago and uh, i think that this text has some great context in regards to isaiah and um, i really Honestly, I, I, obviously I can't write it better than this gentleman did, um, Keith Mathenson. Mathenson, I don't, I've heard of his name. I don't know if I've ever seen anything that he's done, but I know the name. Obviously, I'm not a scholar, um, but uh, working towards that is my goal. To maybe not necessarily be a scholar, you know. I, I think pastoral work is where I'll end up settling, but you know, I, I do want to continue pushing myself. Obviously, other discussion. As I babble on. So let's get to the text here. We're going to look at Isaiah. We're going to kind of uh, high view over it again, um, but we're going to touch on some of these elements that we are getting out of this book. And then next week we are going to look at Ezekiel and Daniel. And then after that, we are going to conclude with Daniel and any, um, which I don't think there will be much of anything, but we'll look at any remaining eschatological points that I want to cover if I missed anything. Um, so the unifying theme here of Isaiah 6 through 12 is this coming messianic king. Chapter 6 and 12 frame the entire subsection with chapter 6 telling of the call and cleansing of Israel and chapter 12 recording the song of salvation sung by the saved community. The subsection begins with the death of King Uzziah, the embodiment of the uh, Davidic house, Chapter 7 through 11 then center on the coming of a holy and divine monarch. The two kingships, the divine and the Davidic, will ultimately merge into the messianic king from the house of David. That's what we see in chapter 7, verses 14, chapter 9, verses 6 through 7, and then chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. The call of Isaiah is, is narrated in Isaiah 6. The chapters serve as an important transition because of the previous chapters have raised some serious questions. How is a sinful and rebellious Israel ever to be the center of a worldwide blessing? And that's something that is interesting to me um, because when we understand the premise to Israel, they were supposed to be God's chosen people and not because they were set apart and to never be, um, you know, that all the other people were doomed except Israel, but Israel was supposed to be this worldwide blessing. They were supposed to be the point where people turn to, to say, how can I receive this blessing? How can I become a part of that? And Israel missed that. They just completely missed it, 100%. Uh, Because we see, we go back to uh, talking to Abraham when we were looking at that text. Uh, Abraham was promised you know, that he would be the father of many nations and that his seed would cover all of the world. And obviously we know that Paul tells us in Galatians that the seed is singular, but the promise is to many nations. So we have one seed, uh, singular seed, which is the promise of Christ. And then we have the promise to Abraham that his 
um, his descendants would measure all of the nations would be as great. And uh, so Israel's context was to be a blessing to all of the world. And they missed that. So in that year, uh, the king Uzziah died. Isaiah sees this vision, and it shapes the entire course of his ministry. And we see this vision plays out here in chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Isaiah sees the Lord sitting, exalted upon a throne, surrounded by the seraphim who continuously sing. And I love this. I love this text. Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The holiness of God is the focal point of Isaiah's vision. The Hebrew language expresses superlatives by the means of repetition. And that is an interesting fact, right? When we see holy, 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 it is an expression that this is important to us. And this is the only place in the Old Testament where the threefold repetition is found. And so, again... That is an exclamation of God's holiness. This is the point. This is, in fact, the point of his entire vision. So this commission is given to Isaiah. is striking. God says to Isaiah, go and say this to the people. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Verses 9 through 10 in chapter 6. Through this prophetic ministry of Isaiah, God is going to prevent the repentance of people in order that judgment might come. They have already rejected the truth repeatedly throughout their history. Now they have passed the point of no return and judgment, in fact, is on its way. However, verse 13 indicates judgment is not the final word. A stump or a remnant will remain. And I love this. This oh, this is just so beautiful to me. Because this points us back to what I just said earlier about Paul. Israel has their hearts hardened. And we see that when Christ comes. We see that the Pharisees are hard-hearted against Christ. And yet, there are many who come to him. And then we see as Paul is writing that this remnant, this small group of people, will be kept by the Lord. These are who God will call his own. I just, that, that to me, man, it just it hits me hard. I love, I love that text because it just shows God's redemptive plan, his mercy and his love being drawn out throughout history. And not only that, but the amazing thing that we can understand is that while not all people are saved, God is still merciful to save even some. And we are all descendants of wrath. We are all born sinful and we deserve nothing but God's wrath poured out. But God is so merciful and so great that he sent his son to die and forgive us of our sins so that we may be reconciled to him. There's a little bit of gospel for you all. I love it. The historical context of chapter 7 through 12 is the threat of uh, Judah caused by the alliance of Syria and Israel in 735 BC. This anti Assyrian coalition invaded Judah, 
but was unable to overpower it. And we see that reflected in 2 Kings 16 and 2 Chronicles 28. In their second invasion of Judah, Syria and Israel determined to replace uh, Ahaz with a king of their own choosing. Uh, because Ahaz, Ahaz, I'm sorry, was tempted to. I'm terrible with names. If you guys don't know that by now, I'm awful with names. So please forgive me. Get a good chuckle out of it and then, yeah, send me your hate mail later. <laughs> is tempted to turn to Assyria for assistance. Uh, Isaiah comes to him telling, uh, telling him that he need not fear Israel and Syria and that he must trust God. That is in chapter 7 of Isaiah. The issue, as um, this scholar explains, is clear. Will Ahaz seek salvation by works, politics, and alliances, or will he simply trust in God's promise? Obviously, there's a lot of context here uh, to what uh, Isaiah is going through and what is being uh, expounded in this text, but let's jump down in this article. This is a great, like I said, this is a great article. This is kind of what I was like, man, this is, this really kind of gives me that overview of Isaiah that I really wanted. Obviously there's much better. Um, there's, there's j- this and just as many good exclamations over it, but we're going to jump down and we're going to look at some of these final promises. So after declaring that the nation of, in whom Judah trusted for deliverance will turn against Judah and after calling upon Judah to trust in God, uh, chapters 8, 11 through 22, Isaiah, again, points towards the coming Messiah in chapter 9. Verses 2 and 3 describe the unbounded joy of people. This joy is due to the deliverance from oppression, verse 4, and their deliverance from the oppression is due to uh, due to end of all war, verse 5. But how will God end war? He will accomplish this through the birth of his child. Now, let's pretext this, that this isn't completed with just the birth of Christ, that war just isn't over with by Christ's coming. Obviously, we see that Christ came and war still continues. What this is pointing us to is that now that the Messiah has given and once all of God's people have been turned to him, then, with the second coming of Christ, war will be finished. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and the peace, there will be no bound on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and evermore. The zeal of Yahweh of the hosts will do this. I love this, these sets of verses. I actually did a sermon series last Christmas on the names of God, and I preached on wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. I love this section of text because it shows that redemptive story that I talked about earlier of of Christ coming forward now. This is one of the most um, perfectly spelt out descriptions of Jesus that we see in all of Scripture. It's found in Isaiah. We see it found here early, and obviously then we see what will happen to him in verse 53. Or, I'm sorry, chapter 53. This prophecy, prophecy looks forward to the ultimate fulfillment of the uh, Emmanuel sign with the coming of Jesus, and that is pointing us to Matthew 1, 18 through 23. Uh, the perfection 
of this king is seen in his qualifications for ruling. He's a wonderful counselor. His person in power, he's almighty God. His relationship with to his subject, everlasting father, and the security of his rule creates prince of peace. The reign of this messianic king will have no end. He will be the final king who will once and for all replace unfaithful kings like Ahaz. God's creational purpose to establish his kingdom on earth will be accomplished through this messianic king. Mic drop. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's just right there. And there's not, I mean, this is the fulfillment of what we get when we look to Old Testament eschatology. This text is some of the most prominent and probably often most under fire by uh, by the Jewish culture because they they are still searching. And as we see earlier in Isaiah that their hearts are hardened, but a remnant is saved out of, uh, out of Israel. A remnant of Jews will be saved. And even though many scrutinize and um, hate on this particular text because this text is obviously describing Jesus Christ, this text obviously is pointing us to the birth of the Son. And that is what we really get when we look at Isaiah as a, as a, as a, as a whole book. We see these prophecies brought out, but we see the promise of the Messiah clearly given to us. And this Messiah will, will exceed all other types that have come before, and nothing after Christ can even match or be a type. Christ is the fulfillment of typology. Christ is the fulfillment of eschatology. Christ is what we look to. That is what the Old Testament waited for, and this is what we are looking forward to is the second coming of Christ. That in its entirety is what eschatology is all about. It is centers around Jesus Christ. It does not center around events. It does not center around the sun darkening and the moon turning to blood. It doesn't center around, you know, the Antichrist and the, um, you know, the false teacher. It doesn't center around world governments. It doesn't center around the United States. Eschatology is focused solely on Jesus Christ. So with that, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to wrap up this episode. Uh, so we've touched base on the day of the Lord, and we looked at Isaiah, and I hope that you guys got a little bit better understanding of where we land in regards to some uh, eschatological events and some texts that we will see throughout the Old Testament and now pointing ourselves to the New Testament. Now, next week we're going to touch base on some stuff in Ezekiel, and then we're going to look at the big meaty book of Daniel, which has a ton of stuff in it. Uh, so we're going to examine that and hopefully come to some interesting decisions and conclusions maybe. I don't know. Um, but I'm really looking forward to that text. And uh, so with that, ladies and gentlemen, make sure you go and check out um, Bible Dingers podcast. They have been uh, instrumental to me and supporting me, and I love them, and I support them as well. Guys, check out uh, Ezra Reads the Law, new podcast coming up. And uh, Chris is a phenomenal person. He's a great friend of mine, and he has a deep passion for the love of Scripture. And also check out Courtney and Anna, who do a lot of thoughts. They have a lot of thoughts <laughs> podcasts. It's a, a great 
show where they just take subjects, uh, topics, and just dig into them and just work themselves through it. They are phenomenal too. They, uh, those people have been uh, such big supporters of me, and I love all of them dearly. So check them out. Also, if you're looking for a good book recommendation, I am reading through um, a couple actually right now. I'm reading through Counseling of the Cross, which is uh, Luther's Counseling on the Cross to help myself get ready for pastoral life. And I'm reading through, we're going to start reading through Pauline Eschatology, a couple good books to get your hands on if you're interested. The other aspect is if you want to grab yourself a nifty little Undying Light t-shirt, go do it. All of the links are in my bio on reformed underscore lifestyle. And I forgot to mention earlier, they are on the Undying Light Ministries uh, Instagram page as well. Both of the bios are the same. Also, if you do want to contribute to this ministry and help grow this ministry and help be a part of this ministry, uh, those who do, I, it is a big family and I love every one of them dearly. They are, they are deep, lifelong friends to me. Um, so a couple of dollars a month, as low as a dollar, whatever you want to give will help grow this ministry, will help, pro- you know, produce better episodes, will help to ensure that content is delivered every Friday morning at 7 a.m. That is my goal. Sometimes I, two weeks ago, I goofed up and I forgot to put the episode out. It was three o'clock in the afternoon. My bad. I was off from work, so I forgot that. But so thank you, thank you, thank you for all of you guys that do stuff to help support this ministry. Guys, with that, uh, we have two more episodes in November and then we will do this break for December and we will talk on Christmas series. I'm not going to give you guys any sort of uh, uh, guess or sneak peek at what it's going to be. I'm very excited for what we have in store for Christmas and I can't wait. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for coming in. I hope you all have a great weekend. Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.